Good evening and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for October 20th, 2022. This is the program that examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with true democracy. I'm Steve Scalmini with co-host Annie Esposito. In today's program, we'll be discussing the risks to democracy in the November midterm elections coming up in just two and a half weeks and the state of election integrity and voting rights going into the election. Our guest is Professor Phil Worf from the Department of Political Science at local Mendocino College. Phil's voice has been heard in recent years on Fifth Fridays with host Bob Bashansky's program, Politics, a Love Story, which is currently on hiatus. So Eddie and I snuck in and stole him fair and square for our program today, get him back on the air. So a shout out to Bob for getting Phil on the air in the first place several years ago. And we're glad to have him here with us this evening. Phil Worf has been a professor of political science at Mendocino College for 15 years. Prior to coming to Mendo, he taught part-time at the University of Arizona while doing public opinion consulting. And from 1995 to 2003, he worked in Washington, D.C., conducting polling for campaigns, companies, and interest groups at Greenberg Quinlan Research. And finally, at a public opinion research program affiliated with the University of Maryland. His master's degree is in international studies from the University of South Carolina. So let's have a look at risks to democracy in the November midterms and the state of election integrity and voting rights. Phil Worf, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Hello, good morning, uh, good afternoon. <laughs> and evening, too, on top of that. Evening, yes, whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> You're used to being on in the mornings in past well, years. <laughs> right. Well, glad to, glad to join you this evening. So let's just do a quickie on the midterms covers uh, House and Senate races. Uh, for the House, it's every two years. For the Senate, it's every six years. So we have about, what is it, two-thirds of senators up for re-election or something like that. You mean in terms of the in terms of the Senate? Yeah, the Senate actually. Yeah, so I mean, I think a third of third of those um, particular uh, parts of the um, you know since the part of the um, the you know plus or plus of the different um, 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 sorry, uh, can you? Can you uh, tell me something else? Yeah, well, sure. Just to, we've, so we've got about one third of the Senate up for re-election, and about right. uh, uh, is it every two years for the House? So there's just just you know hundreds of seats uh, uh, up for the House. The um, right. and so getting into the threats to basic democracy the country is facing, uh, there is just you know a long list of them which we want to start on. Uh, some many of them on the coattails of the big lie. Um, such as the Senate race in Arizona. I know that's of concern. So there are several uh, Senate races which are going to be crucial for the upcoming midterms, and some of them very involved in some of the shenanigans that go on with uh, voter integrity, election integrity, and all. So can we have a look at some of those in the, uh, in the Senate races? What are some of the races that you think are the most exciting or alarming, or <laughs> however you would put it, the closest, where there's the well, most at talking, stake? You're talking about uh, 
Senate. Um, yes. Yeah. So for in the yeah, Senate, I know that there's a there's a list we have uh, of uh, like right now. There's somebody recently published. Actually, this is from uh, Paste Magazine recently, and they did a little list of uh, ten the ten top races in the uh, Senate to watch, and they put them in order of the likeliness that they'll flip. And mm -hmm. so uh, the one at the top of their list is Nevada. And so what do we know about the uh, election security and voter suppression, anything else going on in Nevada? Well, I mean, uh, there's a number of um, number of races uh, for uh, the Senate. And, you know, it looks like Nevada is, um, you know, the, the most important one in terms of, uh, you know, the 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 closest election uh, in Nevada. Um, and it's pretty, pretty close, pretty even, I think, um, you know, but, uh, you know, the the Democrats were doing pretty well earlier in the in the uh, season, uh, earlier in the year, particularly after the um, Supreme Court decision um, about abortion rights. And so, um, you know, it's been it's been uh, some, some challenges there. But I was looking at uh, like Wisconsin and Senator um uh, Jackson, or, I'm sorry, Johnson, Johnson. there, uh, and against the Mandela uh, Barnes. Looks like that Wisconsin's going to, um, you know, uh, Senator Johnson's going to keep Wisconsin probably. Um, but I think that uh, Pennsylvania is probably going to be good for the uh, Democrats. I think Mehmet um, you know, Oz is probably not going to be able to to win, and John Fetterman will the Democrat will hold on probably right now. He's got a five point lead. I think um, gener in general, um, a Democratic candidate uh, is uh, current uh, uh, senator is going to win that race most likely. It looks like Herschel Walker uh, does not is not going to be able to to pull that out to pull it out. Um, ultimately, I don't think. Um, so, I mean, there's I think those are really kind of the the tough ones. Um, although I have to say, North Carolina and Virginia also very close as well. And so all of those races are going to be pretty tight. Um, I don't know what that means in terms of. Um, what it's going to look like in terms of you know, how many, uh, you know, how many uh, pros and cons you can make, and how many uh, decisions might result uh, from uh, different candidates or different different uh, you know Senate Senate seats. And so you know, there's a number of uh, there's a few open seats: North Carolina, Ohio, and they could be um, successful. But it looks right now it's just uh, very very close. And um, you know, I think those first those few seats will be. Um, you know, really tough, but I think that uh, you know the, the sort of ten ten uh, ten of these top ones here, uh, and I, but I think about five of them, five or six of them, will be you know where the uh, that you know where those uh, you know cho choices of those um, those particular candidates will be uh, taken right up until the end of the the elections and it will be very close and we'll see what happens i think um two two months ago the um uh you know the, the democrats would have been much better in terms of um being able to, to pull uh you know to to win perfectly and you know not so much for the uh anymore in in that case uh, there's a lot more less support for um you know uh, for democrat candidates um and those have been declining for a little bit uh, over the last uh, you know few weeks so pretty uh, pretty big challenge i think i think um you know i don't i don't know i think it's probably going to be pretty close um and you know right now the 
there's a, a little bit of uh, about uh, about 60 percent of uh, the likelihood is going to be for um, Republican or I me mean, for Democrats that uh, probably going to go ahead and keep the Senate. But right now it's it's not completely clear whether that'll happen or not, but um, looking pretty good uh, relative to enough seats to at least sort of keep half the the uh, the, the Senate, you know, between the two parties. So it'll be very interesting to see. One of the things about the Senate race, at least they're more exposed and get a lot more press so that when Herschel Walker or uh, Dr. Oz or something do some acting out in public, people are more apt to notice it and it might help the Democrats in those cases. I guess there's five MAGA Republicans uh, in New Hampshire, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Ohio uh, who have been a little reflected sort of outlandish in the press so that might that might help the democrats in those races perhaps yeah i mean the democrats are going to be um pretty successful i would think in uh, in georgia i don't think that uh, herschel walker is going to be able to to keep that i think um you know uh, mr oz is not gonna uh be successful in, in pennsylvania i don't believe um john fetterman will do better um i think um you know michigan was very close i think that actually um lieutenant governor mandel barnes is not gonna catch i don't think senator johnson which is unfortunate um, but I think that, you know, North Carolina is very close. Ohio is very close. Uh, and I think it's possible that, um, you know, uh, that, that, um, you know, Democrats could, could win those seats. And, you know, it's a few weeks, uh, you know, a couple of weeks away anyway, a few weeks away and we'll see what happens. Uh, but I think, um, you know, it's those, it's those key races that will determine the, the result. And it's not clear, um, exactly what that's going to look like just yet. And I, I guess it could take a while to find out, even after the election, like if there's a runoff in Georgia, it could uh, could go on <laughs> until yeah, the end of the year. Right. That's true, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I think, uh, I really don't know what the, the uh, surveys look like in terms of, you know, which side is doing better and how much. But yeah, I think it has to be 50%, right? And if they don't get a 50%, then they, they start over for another uh you know for january but uh, i don't think that uh, i don't think that's going to be a major problem we'll see i guess yeah the um uh, some listeners will certainly remember a year and a half ago pushing two years ago when the runoff occurred in georgia and it was for two races the same state and right. uh and that is possible again there is a i haven't seen mentioned the third candidate in georgia so uh, apologies to listeners there. I don't know who it is, but but there there was apparently three running, and so a plurality, uh, whoever the I guess the most votes under fifty percent will not win the race. So there, if there is uh, if none, no candidate gets fifty percent plus one, then there will be a runoff between the top two candidates, which is what happened two years ago, and that's when so much attention was on Georgia. It was January right. of two thousand one, just a few minutes after the. Uh, general election, the presidential election, when that runoff occurred and got so much attention uh, nationwide. So, um, do you want us to shift over to the House and then we can talk about some of the risk to democracy okay. in these races? Can I say one more thing about the Senate? Is uh, my understanding is the Republicans need a net gain of one seat to flip the Senate. So that's I just want to put that in there because it's a little edgy. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. And, yeah, and uh, you know that one, that one, uh, 
the how close it's going to be and whether the um, Democrats can actually gain a seat or two. And there's a the um, there's a about sixty percent is the estimate of of um, Democrats staying in the char in charge of the Senate. Uh, and we can you know see that some based on some of the data that's come in some of the polling uh, information and um, so uh, you know it looks like that um, Democrats might be able to gain a seat and that would put uh, them you know have a majority uh, in the Senate which would be really helpful uh, right now it looks like the house is going to be a little more trouble um, but I think it's really uh, fascinating that you know how close that uh, the Senate is, and how um, there you know those those five or six real um, uh, contests under uh, you know under the uh, you know the current system. There'll be some there'll be some you know these will be very close results at the end of the uh, you know November. So, I'm, but I don't really know right now who's going to be uh, you know how that's going to uh, happen. The Democrats were being much better a couple of months ago, but now it seems like. Uh, they're just not getting, uh, you know, this, they're, you know, via the the abortion uh, decision by the Supreme Court and other things. But we're just not gonna. I don't think the Democrats. Uh, you know, I think those that has um, lasted long enough to where it's ha the focus of it has been declined, and then you'll see focus on other things, uh, the economy and so forth. That's gonna, um, you know, really challenge those things. And so, you know, is that, uh, you know, is that gonna they're going to ultimately help the Democrats, you know, uh, with those dealing with those issues or not. And it's not clear exactly how that's going to turn out at the moment. Mm -hmm. You did mention, I think, but it's four out of the five Republicans running in these these top 10 uh, crucial races are, you know, Trumpers or uh, election deniers or, you know, call them what you will. So these people are in some of the hot races and that. Uh, has a potential to become a, a fundamental threat to democracy if they do win the Senate by chance. Okay, we'll, well talk right. about that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. Well, no, I was just saying that, um, you know, this is a, a, a big deal, but, you know, only a third of the Senate is up each every two years. And so right now, uh, fortunately, fortunately for the Democrats, there's, um, you know, the challenges are going to be more or the seats are going to be more on behalf of uh you know elected of democrats and typically they're uh you know those elections uh and so you know we'll see if um the senate's able to hold on to uh, the democrats are able to hold on to the um you know the senate uh, and it seems like right now they might be able to doesn't seem like they're going to be able to keep the house and so this would sort of mean you know, it'd be very difficult to get things done as the uh, as the the uh, Democratic, you know, and for the Senate and for the House. Yeah, as the saying goes, difficult to get things done. That is some of the recent uh, reports in the news have been about the, about those those issues uh, that the Democrats may have peaked earlier than they would have wanted to. He, but now the uh, Republicans are driving crime and the economy and using that against the Democrats all they can. So uh, that is a pos it's possible that the momentum uh, for the 
to be waning, but we'll see with six weeks to go, or I'm sorry, almost three weeks to go. Um, and there has been commentary in the news that I've read. Uh, here's one quote that the House races are shaping up in Republicans' favor. And another quote is, uh, to win control of the House, Republicans need to pick up five seats on, on net, and they might gain, gain three of those from redistricting alone, which brings us to the gerrymandering issue. Mm -hmm. Well, what's really interesting is that, um, you know, being able to being able to create uh, to to create districts that benefit one party or the other uh, is easy to do. And because of recent Supreme Court decisions um, limiting the ability of uh, the government to the, or the Justice Department and, you know, sort of keeping those uh, uh, keeping some of that. Uh, some of those things fixed all right but we have um you know a situation via gerrymandering where uh for example back in the 2000 in the early 2000s you had a situation in texas for example where the democrats uh were able to keep the state legislature in the 2000 in the year 2000 and then by 2002 the uh local the, the texas election Republicans took control of the uh, state legislature, and they changed the system uh, so that they redrew the boundaries. You don't have to wait until the census is ready. They redrew the boundaries and everything, and so it went from, you know, Democrats having a majority of those state level of the of the, of the congressional districts, and then moved immediately much less for the um you know for the the democrats right and much more for the republicans who uh who was, were able to to gain quite a bit of seats based on the um you know redrawing of the congressional districts and if you look at 2004 the only um addition that the only uh increase in republican uh, Republicans in the state or in the legislature in Congress, um, you know, that went immediately for plus three based on the distribution of, um, you know, vote distribution of representatives from from Texas. And so, you know, using gerrymandering to, um, you know, to create districts that benefit the party in charge of the state legislature is uh, particularly, um, and, you know, it's common, it's not illegal or anything like that, but there's a way to really benefit one party or uh, relative to the other by simply redrawing those boundaries. Um, and, you don't, you know, it usually happens after the census, but you don't have to wait till the next census. And, you know, it does happen if there's a switch. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, in Texas, then, there could actually be a higher Democratic vote, but the Republicans would win. Yeah, I mean, we have a situation in some states where, uh, well, let's say for Wisconsin, for example, um, Democrats can actually get more um, get more votes nationwide uh, and do much better, except for the way the districts are drawn, both the congressional districts and also the districts within state, that you could actually have um, Democrats win up to 55% of the vote or something, but the way the districts are, are drawn, they could still end up with a you know fairly uh, limited number of seats and um, a significant domination uh, of those seats by the Republicans. And so this whole gerrymandering thing is really huge. And uh, given the decisions that have been made recently limiting uh, by the Supreme Court, limiting 
the ability of the Justice Department to actually go after um, this kind of gerrymandering that uh, might be generated by some, uh, you know, racial perspectives and that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a big deal, and it can really uh, determine the outcome of, uh, you know, who's in charge of a particular state and how many people you can elect into uh, to a congressional uh, office. So, um it's really unfortunate that gerrymandering is so common and um you know something that's uh, gotten more significant over time and it really sort of undermines to some degree the democratic outcome of um of elections and you know that's uh but that's uh, that's just the way it is there's you know so much conflict between the two parties yeah, it's really very striking. I know we've been talking about how polarized it's been, but uh, typically, you know, the United States, the elections, they would go to the right and then to the left, to the right, kind of bounce back and forth. But I've never seen it like this before, where it would go so far to the right. It's just, it just takes my breath away. Mm-hmm. On the topic of uh, of the you know fundamental health of democracy, one of the uh, recent comments is from the uh the, the republican candidate for senate in arizona who said that she would very gladly accept the uh, election results if she wins <laughs> and, <laughs> that seems to me <laughs> and no comment about any other option so right. uh, what do you think the risks are in the state of arizona well, um, I don't know. It is interesting. I think uh, Carrie Lake, the Republican nominee, she's you know she was asked, "Do you would you accept the results?" And she said, well, "Yeah, if I win, right." So mm-hmm. that's really uh, that's really scary, actually, that um, that's the case. And you you have to wonder. Um, in fact, is uh, it's a very very close um, you know in terms of what we see right now polling, and you just have to wonder if in fact she doesn't win um, that there's the possibility then that she would claim some kind of um uh you know some kind of uh, inappropriate uh cheating or something like that mm-hmm. or a lack of um you know counting correctly and this kind of thing and so um you know we don't know what's going to happen but if she uh, loses the election uh but decides that she's going to challenge it and then you have the state legislature which is heavily republican uh, who knows exactly about how that's going to turn out but um i think it, it is very concerning to me that you have people like uh, Kari lake running for uh governor who simply reject the loss of uh you know of trump in 2020 and this raises a big question as to whether um you know if they if if republicans lose in 2024 what exactly does that mean and are there going to be efforts to uh keep from you know to uh to go against the result and try to uh, keep you know republicans in power mm-hmm. and um you know in some instances the state legislature or others would be able to to influence that outcome and so that's a that's a big concern for me really and what happens if you get to the end of the campaign and all of a sudden the you know the republican nominee decides that they don't believe that they lost the election when if they did and um you know how's that how's that going to work out and uh, are we going to be able to uh you know to keep our system and maintain the democratic uh portion of it but or maintain the fundamental democracy of it but um that's being challenged by uh, republicans who don't 
uh, you know, have that and are willing to sort of reject the idea of having, um, you know, reject, uh, object to losing and making claims that there's some problem with it when, in fact, that's not the case, um, particularly in 2020, that that was the case. Mm-hmm. You have to be uh, careful, you know, what's going to happen in these, in these instances. Uh, it's not clear. Let me mention to listeners, we're speaking about the risks to democracy in the November midterms and the state of election integrity and in, uh, in voting rights going into the midterms. We're speaking with Phil Worf, professor of political science at Mendocino College. Um, I wanted to mention uh, as next, consider the uh, who actually does the vote counting, which brings us to the topic of secretaries of state. Mm. I'd like to comment on that nationwide. Well, it's really interesting because um, Secretary of States, in, in most states, they're actually the person who would um, count the votes and, you know, make sure that the the, the vote was counted correctly and the winners are, uh, you know, uh, put into place properly. Uh, and most in most cases, the state legislature or the, um, the Secretary of State will do that. So we have to look at there's a couple of. Um, uh, about 10 or 12 important races where you actually have um, Republicans who have been nominated to do this, uh, who are very conservative and pro-Trump, and they believe that, um, you know, it's possible then that the outcome could be rejected, manipulated, et cetera, something like that by the Secretary of State. And that's a that's a big concern. Um, that, um, and the other thing, too, is that the state legislature in many states, I think you, they could just sort of replace the, uh, you know, send, send a different slate of electors if they want to in some instances. So um, this, is, this is a big challenge uh, in terms of, you know, what, what exactly uh, the impact is going to be on uh, political outcomes. Mm-hmm. One of the issues that uh, uh, sticks in my mind is about secretaries of state being elected in most states, but not all states. In right. some states, they are appointed by the governor. And I believe that Pennsylvania is in the uh, is being highlighted for that. Uh, and that's because whoever wins the governorship may appoint who they wish as secretary of state, which will affect how votes are counted and the fundamental election integrity in the state. Can you comment on that? Well, um, well, there's a. A number of states where, um, you know, you have this secretary of state who's able to, you know, uh, determine outcomes or make decisions about it. Um, and these are these are pretty uh, important things. I mean, you know, one of the things that they want to do if they win, they're promising they want to have uh, eliminate voting machines and have voting by hand, mm-hmm. which probably is more dangerous uh, than actually using voting machines in terms of um, having correct representation of the of the outcome, um, you know, and voting by uh you know, voting by hand or counting by hand it would take a super long time and really uh, doesn't make any sense at all. But um, there's that. Um, they want to be able to uh, some some like uh, right, some governor um, candidates want to take away those powers from the secretary of state and make that into the uh, governor into the governor's governor's office and the, or the state legislature mm-hmm. uh, as well. So, um, you know, these are this is a, a big concern that you're going to have these, um, you know, people who are partisan and and who are going to run these um, important uh, secretary of state offices that run elections. And so can we, given the fact that there's uh, sort of this rejection of 
political outcomes, uh, you know, is that is that going to be a problem uh, after 2022? And it's not uh, it's not clear. Um, it could be a serious problem. And if it's close enough, I think it will be. Uh, there'll be a lot of challenge to those. And how exactly that turns out is going to be, um, um, you know, is I'm, I'm curious about and concerned about. The, the fun one to remember, of course, is the original battle between Camp and Stacey Abrams, where he was Secretary of State running against her for governor, and he got to count his own votes. I just That's just so classic. Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. I mean, I think that uh, Kemp, uh, when he was over, over, when he was Secretary of State, had a big purge of uh, voters of the voter pool, and so mm-hmm. people who hadn't voted in the last um, six years or something were all, you know, bounced. And so this was, uh, as Secretary of State, he had the ability to influence uh, the political outcome of the uh, gubernatorial election and uh you know certainly benefited from that um you know i think he's and he's actually probably doing better this time than last time in terms of um you know running for re-election uh state stacy abrams i don't think is gonna um be able to knock him off uh but but yeah i mean you know um secretaries of state have the ability to really influence elections and election outcomes and election process like how many voting locations they're going to have whether you can do mail-in balloting and how 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 much what's required on mail-in balloting and that kind of thing um you know, uh, so you know, some some states are trying to put in place um, a situation where you have to be really specific in terms of putting dates down, or you know, writing your writing your uh, your signature has to balance and all this stuff. So it's making mail and mail and ballots much more difficult because I think there's a belief on the Republican side that that's one of the reasons they lost in 2020 was it was just too easy uh, for people to vote uh, via via mail, and I think that's. Uh, that ability is going to be restricted fairly significantly in a number of states. Mm-hmm. That reminds me to mention a couple of uh, headlines uh, just recently about this issue. Although, let me again uh, remind listeners that we're speaking with Phil Worf, professor of political science at Mendocino College. If you would like to get in with a question or comment on the air, the number to call here is uh, 895-2448. That's in area code 707-895-2448. And let me also remind listeners that we are in the middle of our fall pledge drive. And so if you would like to uh, donate um, in appreciation of the program, uh, you're not able to call in to do it in the evening hours like this, but you can go to the website kzyx.org and press the big red button and uh, and donate online. Or you can, of course, send in a, uh, a check to P.O. Box 1 in Philo, and we do have our first call coming in. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. What's your first name, and from where are you calling? Gregory, uh, and um, wanting to comment on what I pre- think is uh, a pretty clear leadership uh, uh, on the Republican side uh, for regime change. I mean, we hear regime change uh, in third world type of, uh, uh, of agencies led by um, the militarists, but uh, it would seem to me that it's it's very clear. And so um, what I w- would like to know if uh, the folks uh, are participating in this discussion, if that is what's going on, um, if that's the diagnosis, What's the treatment? How 
how do we at this point, a few weeks before an election, which we pretty well know is going to be managed uh, uh, and uh, denied and all such as that, and uh, with all sorts of uh, uh, difficulty of being able to um, regularize the count, etc., how do we deal with this? I'll okay. take my answer off the air. Okay. Thank you for your call. What a good question. Yeah, Phil, did you hear that clearly? Um, yeah, so um, how, how do we deal with the, the possibility of um, um, the uh, of someone cheating, basically? And, uh, you know, one, one of the things the Democratic Party is doing is they're trying to recruit um, and have recruited a number of people who are going to be uh, poll watchers um, just to make sure that, um, you know, as, as much as possible, wherever they're able to, to see that the tally of votes is, is correct and just see, have a, be able to observe that process. And uh, But I also think that, you know, the Republicans have done a lot more, especially uh, people who support President Trump, a lot more to um, try to get involved in overseeing our, or um, um, trying to influence election outcomes mainly by um, trying to make it harder for people to vote, by making it harder to register, and doing a number of other things like that. Um, and really, there's not much that can be done about it except for good poll watching and you know making sure that um, you know you can you <laughs> making sure that uh, you know the, the the rules are followed and that there's anything unusual that they uh, take some action. Uh, the Republicans have got a better system right now of sort of. Um, you know, following up on uh, who, who's who's voted, uh, who hasn't voted, and what potential problems there are, and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, you know, the Democrats don't quite have that set up. But but there's going to be you know some some oversight of this uh, fairly significantly mm-hmm. on both sides. The caller used uh, early in his comment. He used the word uh, organized, and uh, in. You know, with some reluctance, uh, I have to uh, refer to, I think it was Mark Twain's comments, and it's over 100 years ago, about uh, uh, about uh, being involved with an organized uh, party, and he commented, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Democrat, that's not an organized party. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the Republicans are, are better at specific talking points, using the talking points you know, nationwide, everybody using blo- this kind of thing, but they're just more organized about that. Yeah. And as well, the talking points are often a bunch of hooey, I think, you know, but they uh, but they stick to them well, so, you know, it's up to the electorate, whether they're going to fall or not, and, uh, or whether they're going to fall for it or not. And, right. and that's the way it is. I wanted to mention a uh, uh, an article related to what you mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago. Uh, it's called Stop the Steel Supporters, Train Thousands of U.S. Poll Observers. This is out of Reuters on October 13th, and it talks about the, uh, uh, you know, in the final stretch to the, to the midterm, uh, Reuters has documented, you know, multiple incidents of intimidation involving an expanding army of election observers, many of them recruited by prominent Republican Party figures and activists, echoing Trump's false theories about election fraud. So, um, you know, there, there's some evidence that they'll be, you know, the Republicans will be outnumbering the Democrats when it comes to observing polling places and such. 
Yeah, I think that's true. We're definitely going to see that. Um, it's interesting. I used to live in Arizona, and um, one of the things that um, conservatives would do they would sh- they would <laughs> they would show up at polls in heavily Latino areas with um, sort of official looking shirts on with uh, where they look and and you know guns. They look kind of like they're police officers or something or whatever. And their whole their main uh, focus was to intimidate people to you know try to limit uh, as much voting uh, participation as possible. Um, so there's lots of different ways to try to intimidate voters, try to, um, you know, both before and then sort of figuring out if you can go after voters um, afterwards in terms of whether they filled out their ballots completely and this kind of thing. And I I think, um, you know, mail ballots are particularly difficult because if the if the state really wants to, uh, they can find they can create a situation where you really have to be specific uh, on your mail in ballot. If there's anything wrong, uh, they can be rejected, even if it's something that is not uh, what the courts would say uh, not material or is immaterial to it. Um, there's no reason why if you get your ballot in on time, there's no reason why you should have to you know put the date on it, uh, or no reason why not putting a date on it uh, would would cause it to be rejected when you know. If it gets there on time, what difference is the, does it make when the, mm-hmm. when it was said? So um, there's lots of different things like this. Um, and for example, in Texas, they made some changes, uh, to, and they found that you know the number of uh, the number of ballots that were thrown out was about one in eight. Uh, mm-hmm. So about 12 percent of ballots were tossed out in the recent Texas primaries, uh, which sort of indicates how significant that will you know would be relative wow. to. Uh, voting outcomes yeah so that is huge uh, i I did not know that yeah it's really a big a big concern now i mean you know um, republicans in texas say well look there's been these other elections and it got better after that but um these these elections that they claim were were better and they were better in terms of uh, just throwing out ballots but we're talking about races that are not statewide races or congressional races or anything like that Mm -hmm. um so uh those those uh who are opposed to this new uh set of policies don't don't aren't very convinced that um you know there's not going to be the same kind of thing happen in 2024 mm-hmm. well there's something kind of weird what's happening uh, in the news in, in florida that people were actually arrested for voting I, I gather they were either black or democrat or both yeah, I don't know about the, the details of that, um, actually, but uh, yeah, um, the governor, uh, he appointed uh, a, a person who is the uh, charge of the election police, right? Election. And so this person is is in charge of the election police is gonna is uh, you know a big time republican partisan and so uh, and also someone who's uh, de- denies that um, biden won the election so uh, we're talking about a situation where you're really going to have um you know pushback against uh results here and and you know it's um it's uh it seems like uh, instead of the interest being to make sure that people uh the voting is legal and this kind of thing it's more just trying to make it more difficult for people who are less likely to vote or for people who vote and just uh, make a mistake about not filling in one thing on the form even though it's pretty clear if you look at it that the vote is legitimate and so um I think those things are going to be the way to, you know, and uh, making it harder to register and all that are, are ways that um, the uh, leftist vote is going to be uh, kept uh, as small as possible, and particularly in you know conservative states where they can make these laws fairly easily. Texas being a great example of that. Yeah, um, Pennsylvania c- comes up again, and it's relative to this 
uh, mail-in voting and, and putting a date on a on your on your ballot. Let me mention again, though, that it's eight nine five two four four eight. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, eight nine five two four four eight. In of course, area code seven zero seven. This is a quote from an article from the Lever, and just October eleventh, so last week. Uh, but this is a uh, on on Tuesday of that week. Uh, the Supreme Court vacated an appellate court decision. And as a result, Pennsylvania uh, counties may be able to reject timely ballots cast by eligible registered voters if the voter forgot to date their mail ballot envelopes. And as trivial as that, as that sounds, what actually happened there, the, the, there's a third U.S. Court of Appeals had ruled that counties cannot reject the otherwise valid ballots because they're simply missing a date. And that's because the court found that the date uh, next to the signature on on your envelope is immaterial since it was not used to determine the timeliness of the ballot. And the Voting Rights Act, remember that, from 1964, I believe it was, it actually clearly prohibits states from rejecting ballots for immaterial reasons. So the court issue became, like, apparently, what is immaterial? And the Supreme Court overruled Pennsylvania, and so people that forget to put the date on their envelope can be rejected. Yeah, I mean, the Voting Rights Act has been severely, um, uh, well, it's been eviscerated for the most part by the Supreme Court with Section 5, um, getting rid of sort of uh, the Justice Department, Federal Justice Department pre-clearance pre of uh, redistricting um, of the former uh, Confederacy. Uh, and so what's happened, so the Supreme Court says, well, we don't really have enough data anymore to know about this, um, which I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure they're really paying attention. But, uh, but so this gives the states that formerly had to get clearance, the ability to make districts that they want. And, um, you know, again, a place like Texas, we're looking at a situation where uh, you can just, or in North Carolina is another good example, if you just if who's in charge is able to draw the boundaries the way they want to, the Republicans would be able to go from like five seats out of thirteen to nine seats out of fourteen, which is the which North Carolina get a got a new uh, seat in Congress, um, and the North Carolina Supreme Court keeps saying. No, you can't do that. You're, you know, you're, you're uh, creating districts that don't represent the the population, uh, and you know, so there's a, and the Supreme Court sort of uh, hesitant to get involved in these, so that whether the state Supreme Courts are making decisions, but it seems like with this new majority in the Supreme Court, perhaps they're changing their mind on that and getting more involved in those and and that to restrict the ability of states and courts to go after uh, politically oriented redistricting uh, that sort of gives one party the big advantage over the other simply by the way the the, the lines are drawn you know for example in alabama right now um, there's a situation where you know big i forgot the portion of alabama that is african-american but it's like 35 or 40 percent something like that and they've only got one out of uh, eight or nine congressional districts because the the you know they're drawn in a way that um you know, you know there's cracking and packing right so they Indeed. pack all yep. the african-american voters into as small space as possible and they crack up the rest of them into uh, you know if they and whatever's left it gets cracked up into a bunch of different districts and thereby reducing the impact of african-american voters by keep them keeping them into one congressional district yeah. i don't think there's going to be any limitation on that going forward I I remember you uh, you covered this uh, with Bob Bashansky in the spring. the The issue was gerrymandering versus 
extreme gerrymandering, <laughs> which is, a, you know, now it's a level not seen before, even when both parties have been doing it for, for generations, but it's just reached a new extreme. Uh, I'll mention one comment from the same article. This is uh, this uh, a, a small compliment to Texas in this case. A Texas court ordered Bexar County to open at least 388 polling places on Election Day, ruling that the number ruling that number to be the minimum required under state law the county had planned to open as few as 259 so that's almost half again uh, the number of voting places they've been ordered to open uh, but they were trying to minimize that up until the court uh, ordered that a few weeks ago so i hope that actually happens but we'll see but uh, for what it's worth right. the court did something that sounds sensible for democracy in that case yeah, I mean, uh, to make it, um, you know, to have that small a number of registration places or polling places, polling places is just absurd. I mean, it's clearly an attempt to limit the ability of people to actually go out and vote. Um, and so it's good that the courts would uh, intervene in that. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of thing that states are doing. It's, you know, reducing polling place hours, making it harder to vote, making it harder to vote early, um, you know, putting more limitations, uh, you know, that are questionable related to uh, mail-in ballots and all that. So there's a big effort in many states to just make it more difficult. And this is really, it's a bummer because, you know, we as a, as a democratic country and a democratic system, the goal should be to get as many people involved as possible. Um, and we know that people who are less likely to get involved um, are more likely to be Democrats and also the way to make that uh, those people who and it's a way to keep those people from getting involved uh, who might otherwise get involved and uh, to benefit the Democrats and you know of course politically you know it makes sense Maryland is a predominantly Democratic state they're doing the same thing in terms of gerrymandering mm -hmm. districts and um, you know and sort of making election laws that benefit their the Democrats in certain ways so it's mostly Republicans that are doing it, but there there are a couple of, of uh, Democratic states too. Um, yeah, the Democrats have been known to gerrymander, but right now it does seem like the Republicans are on like this extreme mission. I, I heard that in Georgia has a, a new law that anyone can challenge voters, and that there's over 80 Republican actors that are going around challenging as many people as they can and that like uh, over 300,000 Georgia voters have been challenged and what does mm -hmm. that mean when they go to the polls maybe they're blocked yeah I don't know I mean there I forget what state it is but one of the new um, um, people running for Secretary of State basically said you know I don't care you know, I don't care if it's one person who challenges an election outcome. I'm willing to investigate. I'm willing to delay the certification of the outcome, all this stuff. So basically what could happen, and given these kind of policies, is that um, you could sort of stretch it out indefinitely uh, via the courts, via, you know, lack of ex lack of action. And so what does that mean in terms of who's going to cast their ballots, particularly for president and stuff like that? And we don't know the extent to which certain state legislatures would take action. You know, one of the, there's the um, big question of the, you know, the independent state legislature uh, is, uh, issue as well. Ooh, there's a bag of worms. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so the independent state legislature theory, the idea that um, state lawmakers are able to make decisions about um, 
uh, voting about district uh, drawing and this kind of stuff. And so the independent state legislature theory literally takes that explicit language that talks about the state legislature and ultimately means they believe gives the state legislature the ability to determine the outcome of the uh, presidential election uh, in, in that state. Um, and so it's interesting that um, this is not, this is something the courts have sort of rejected. But the Supreme Court now seems like there are four members who are interested in um, looking at this independent state legislature theory more closely. And if, in fact, they decide that um, the state legislature alone given an explicit reading of the Constitution, has the ability to do that uh, on its own without the governor, without the courts being involved, any of that, well, then all of a sudden uh, that creates a very different dynamic um, in terms of the state legislature's power to simply ignore election results. And um, So this could become the law of the land uh, out of the Supreme Court. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we could have a situation where the court says, you know, right now in most states, the legislature does, you know, write the, uh, create the districts, but you also, in most states, you have the executive branch has to sign off on it. Uh, you also have the ability in North Carolina, for example, you know, um, to challenge them. And the state constitution says that, um, you know, the state courts are able to compel the legislature to redraw those boundaries based on equity and that kind of thing. And if this interpretation um, is okayed by the Supreme Court, well, now you have a situation where the state legislature can make a decision however they want without any checks and balances whatsoever. And to me, this is an extremely dangerous idea uh, for democracy itself. And uh, so it concerns me a great deal that, you know, you have an, enough members of the Supreme Court to actually hear a case about this when it's been, you know, it was rejected as recently as 2015. Um, so that reflects the, you know, the, ver the, the change in the Supreme Court uh, brought about by the Trump appointments. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, with their decisions on abortion rights and other things that are pretty dr dramatic, I think we could see some embracement of this independent state legislature theory. Which, again, is, uh, you know, removes all checks and balances, and that's kind of not the way our system is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Okay, you just I, really scared me now. Well, you know. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, if I may take a moment to put that in a little bit of historic perspective, um, I've mentioned before uh, on the radio here the drop the name Hiram Johnson. And you being not uh, raised in California, I might surprise you, he was the governor back in the progressive era of California. And he was the governor when the 17th Amendment was passed, 1912, ratified in 1913. And, um, but until then, senators, U.S. senators, were chosen by legislatures, not by the voters. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this independent state legislature theory is similar in that the legislature would then decide who won the federal elections for each state not the voters and right uh, which is just i mean scary but that's it's you know it's analogous to what used to be done back in that era well that's right and um, you know so in order to to get past that there had to be a constitutional amendment um you know approved mm -hmm. in order to to you know to strip the state legislature of this power of appointing senators which is uh, a great idea uh, but certainly you know, there was historically state legislatures until 1913 did choose senators, and so is there a relationship there in terms of the ability of the um, 
uh, the state legislature to make those decisions um, about, you know, election law and so forth. Well, maybe so. Uh, we don't know what, you know, we uh, recent decisions have found that this doesn't fly. But, you know, 2015 was a long time ago and like a long, long time ago relative to where um, where the courts are. Indeed, that was a very conservative era of the court, which didn't get changed until the uh, the New Deal era. Yeah, so we're about running out of time. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the ways voters can protect their votes? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting. Um, and I mentioned this to Steve before, which is that, you know, if it were absent a few important people, you know, we could have had a situation where, you know, there could have been a more uh, significant and direct challenge to the election outcomes. You know, um, the secretary of state in Georgia, for example, the governor of uh, Arizona, a Republican who, in, who you know, approved of that result. Uh, a number of, um, you know, places that are going to, uh, you know, where if you hadn't had people with, um, you know, ethics, uh, it could have been a problem. And that's my concern about secretaries of state and these uh, Trump appointees and others. Um, now, so what can you do? Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure you're still registered. Uh, a lot of, Now, California doesn't have a big problem with that. But in a lot of states, one thing that's happening, and Kemp did this, uh, Governor Kemp in Georgia did this, he basically purged the voter rolls significantly um, for people who hadn't voted in a recent election. So first thing you should do, and again, California's not bad about this, but make sure you're registered still. <laughs> Okay, that that certainly uh, helps, and um, you know there's lots of different ways to there's ways to check. The Secretary of State's office has a website. You can look up your registration uh, number. I think you can do it by your name too as well. There's a phone number you can call. So all kinds of ways you can confirm you're uh, registered, and also confirm uh, that your uh, absentee ballots, uh, if you ha if you're getting them, the mail ballots will be sent to the right location that's that's often very helpful it's a problem for young voters i see this all the time at, at the campus is that they don't really have a place where you know they can get things sent like that and and so there's often a uh an issue whether with you know where where their home address is and should they get it and all that and 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 then for the students themselves where where the heck they uh where, where it went to um but you know there was the electoral count act that was passed in congress right which um has got some bipartisan support which eliminates the whole you know uh which makes it clear that the vice president is just uh you know it's, it does not have any official power here uh, mike pence being one of those people who you have to respect at least a little bit for you know being willing to follow the law instead of following trump i think somebody else you really have to have a lot of respect for is the person driving the car that didn't take trump to the hotel to the capital <laughs> on january 6th yeah i mean uh, if that would have happened it'd be completely crazy um so but there you know there there are places particularly in california where you can find this information out and, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you guys have the phone numbers and stuff, I think. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, a number of ways you can protect yourself. Yeah, and I guess there's ways to track your ballot, too, to make sure it was counted on the Secretary of State website, I assume. And, uh, yeah, we do have, some, we wrote down a couple numbers. The ACLU has a nonpartisan election protection hotline, which is 1-866-OUR-VOTE, O-U-R-V-O-T-E. 
our vote and the Democrats also have a voter hotline in California in case you, f- you feel like you're being intimidated at the polls or you think that the there's not enough ballots there or the lines are too long or there's something that doesn't look right uh, the Democrat uh, hotline is 877-321-VOTE that's 877-321-VOTE Okay, and uh, yeah, so uh, I was going to say, we'll say one more thing. The Secretary of State's office, the website is sos.ca.gov. And so, how appropriate! SOS, right? Absolutely, yeah. I should put a put a shout out to the local elections office who just does a bang up job, you know, goes real smoothly. We got our ballots, I think it was a week ago, and uh. You know, just just goes very smoothly. No, no yeah, questions asked true. about how it goes. And but other parts of the country are not as smooth. And uh, some of these uh, states I mentioned are the ones to watch. Again, the top uh, uh, Senate races are probably Nevada, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, and. Uh, Ohio, yeah, is open one too. That'd be pretty close. That's an open seat, right? Yeah, there were three open yeah. seats. You mentioned a couple. Ohio is an open seat. Uh, North Carolina is an open seat, and Pennsylvania is an open seat. So both uh, John Fetterman and Mamet Oz—I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name. Hope I didn't butcher that. But Doctor Oz, yeah, uh, yeah Doctor Oz uh, are both—you uh, um, know—have not been in the office before, so there's no incumbent there. Right. Well, there's some close elections, and also, as we are discussing briefly before, you know, some of these governors, um, you know, these are Senate races, but in some states, governors appoint the um, the people who determine uh, who's going to, uh, you know, set the rules and determine outcomes. Yep, yep. And so that's a big concern um, in a number of states, including Pennsylvania, which is one of the hot governor's races right now. Okay. Well, we need to wrap up. Thank you for being our guest, uh, Phil Worf from the college. and. Yeah. Uh, We'll see how things go. Maybe talk about the election in a month, uh, see how things actually went. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.